0: Hey, great to be with you all today, whether you are joining us online or wherever you are here in the room. We're glad that you're with us. A couple things real quick. Just want to say thank you to all who participated in our five days of Christmas, sort of week-long extravaganza for our singles community here at Mosaic Church. We did stuff uh, virtually throughout the week and then a little bit distance in the parking lot yesterday. That's number one. Secondly, uh, if you're noticing the world's softest T-shirt I'm wearing now, it's because with we, this week where there was KidCon or Kids Children's Ministry ministry uh, Thursday Friday Saturday just want to say thank you there were so so many of you at home and here in the room who helped make that great this week especially Kevon and Alyssa who work in children's ministry so thank you thank you thank you let's give them a hand clap it was it was a really big deal they worked so hard to make our kids ministry conference great all right let's get into our time in God's word our scripture reading day is going to be from the book of Matthew chapter one you can follow along on the screen But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And that's the reading of God's word. All people said, amen, amen, amen. yeah right behind the house where I grew up there's this enormous train track that goes over a bridge right there and now you know more or less it exists to sort of serve light commuter rail but once upon a time that was not the case once upon a time there was these huge trains that used to go tumbling rumbling past there like a hundred cars or more along with this huge you know classic engine on the front a tiny caboose on the back and when that thing got up going got up to full speed man it it, it would shake the ground. It would shake our house. It would would shake the the walls. And sometimes I felt like he was even coming like right to the living room. At first, that is, at first. But after years of living there, you know, you sort of got used to the noise and the sound and and the shaking. You you, you came to ignore it. Kind of like those of you who have multiple small children do. (laughs) You just sort of ignore the noise around you. Uh, You know it's there, but you learn to live with it until, uh, until you had friends over, until I had friends over and then it got late and the train would start to, you know, roar past the house. And then you start to look and notice that your friends had a panicky look in their eye. Like, you know, you be like, man, are you okay? Like, what's up? Are you, you know, what's going on? And they look back at you and say, what do you mean? What's going on? What is shaking the house? Oh yes. (laughs) The train, the train. Yeah. You know, if you're, not, if you're not careful, if you don't pay attention to it, I think that Christmas can be a lot like a train running past your house. You just sort of get used to the noise. You sort of get numb to the message. It's trying to shake all up into your life. And so I want to submit to you today that I think that a proper reaction, an honest reaction To Christmas, it would be way less to go rock around your Christmas tree, as nice as that sounds, and way more like dropping your shopping bags online, of course, this year only, and run away screaming because something big, something overwhelming is moving past your life, shaking your world. I think a a proper reaction, an honest reaction to Christmas would be way less like a person in a Hallmark Christmas movie way more like the person we're going to take a look at today, someone named Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus of Nazareth, because, because centuries before there was anything called the Bible, the gospel writer, Matthew, he gets this account for us. He, Matthew picked up pen, he picked up parchment, and he captured for us Joseph's story, Joseph's reaction to that train coming into his life. He captures for us what Joseph's reaction to that first Christmas meant then, means today. Matthew, the gospel writer, looking back on all of it, he summarizes Joseph's whole story with these words. We read it in verses 22, 23. He said, all of this, what's that? Joseph's story. Joseph's story took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew's telling us right here from from the beginning that the point of Joseph's story is this, that the baby to be born is going to be not just, not just God out there, not just God in the cosmos, but God with us. So what does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to look at today, starting for the next three weeks. Hope you'll be with us along for the journey. So here's my question for today. So what does it mean then for God to be God with us? What does it mean for God to be God with us? And to answer that, I wanna try to ask and answer a similar question. What did it mean for God to be God with Joseph? What did it mean for God to be God with Joseph, an unknown, poor, anonymous Jewish carpenter? Was that enough adjectives for you? What did it mean for God to be God with Joseph? I remember when Carrie told me we were expecting our, our first child, uh, it was, you know, of course it's amazing, but like a lot of other, you know, soon to be first time dads in human history, I was a little excited and a lot nervous, <laughs> a lot nervous because you know that your life is about to change. And the reason you know this is because there is an unending line of people who tell you this, <laughs> well-meaning people, well-meaning relatives, well-meaning friends and aunts and uncles who tell you this incessantly but it still doesn't help you because though you are told, words cannot prepare you for what's gonna happen next. Like for a difficult labor and delivery where your child stops breathing, turns blue, forceps used to extract them, doctors rush in to save your wife's life, the child's life, where your child is whisked away away to the NICU for several days to make sure there is no, and these are two words that'll stop every parent in their tracks. There's no brain damage. Nothing can prepare you for that. And then when you bring the child home, everything's okay. Thankfully, the words cannot prepare you for all the stuff you've got to buy. Like there's the crib, there's the pack and play, which is actually a medieval torture device. Uh, The portable crib you take and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth every time you got to set it up at your in-laws house or your friend's house. Then there's the the high chair you got to buy, the baby bath you got to buy, the clothes, the diapers, the wipes. And the bag for all the clothes and the diapers and the wife, just like you had to buy an entire house full of furniture just to bring home eight pounds of human life. Then there's all the wonderful smells you discover, all the weird food you have to buy, the sleep deprivation you will have to endure. And just for the record, as an aside, I don't care what anyone says, your child will sleep when your child wants to sleep. Thanks for all the advice, America. We read all the books, all the talk shows. Let me tell you something, they don't work. Kids aren't widgets. They're not alarm clocks. You can't unplug them. The only cord they come with is an umbilical one. And when that thing's cut, they go on and off whenever they want to. Now, flash forward four years in the Stevens home. Your oldest child is still four. When count them, the fourth child is born. You've had three in diapers for years. Your marriage feels crispier than the burnt toast for breakfast that you didn't eat anyway. And then all of you gets the flu and and then it finally hits you. My life has totally changed. (laughs) Why didn't anyone tell me? Oh, yeah, they did. (laughs) And so when you read about this guy, Joseph, right here, and the woman he loves named Mary comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. You may be tempted to think, oh, I know how this is going to go, right? I've been a dad before. I've been a parent before, like an aunt or an uncle. You know, Uh, what does it mean for God to be with Joseph Morgan? It means Joseph's life is about to change, except you'd be part right, mostly wrong. Because Joseph's life wasn't about to change. Joseph's life actually just changed on the spot when Mary tells him she's pregnant. Here's why. A first century Jewish couple to go from single to married would have to work through a three-stage cultural process. It looked like this. First, there was engagement. Engagement could happen when the bride and groom were were very young, when when the parents, usually the parents, would arrange for them to be married. Secondly, it would move then to betrothal. This made the previous engagement official and binding. And during that that time of betrothal, it usually lasted about a year, the couple were known as husband and wife. And that relationship could only be broken or dissolved by divorce. Then there was marriage. Finally, after a year long betrothal, then came a wedding, then they were married. And so, so with that in mind, and when you're Joseph and you're Mary, and you're not just Engaged, but you're betrothed to each other, that means you are a person, specifically in Joseph's case, who has not consummated their relationship here. Specifically, Joseph is committed to honoring God, honoring the woman he's pledged to be married to by not sleeping with her. He's committed to providing for her. You are known in that case as husband and wife, but you're not fully married Basically, you've got all the obligations of a marriage relationship with none of the benefits of a marriage relationship. And so right here, right now, it looks like for all the world to see that Mary, God bless her, has skipped step two and gone right to step three, except not with Joseph, but another man. Now, could you imagine their first kind of conversation about this? Like Joseph, I'm pregnant by God, you know, Mary I don't care how sincere you are girl that's not how this works so Joseph's life has changed when Mary tells him she's pregnant because now he's gonna have to divorce her because she's pregnant he's not the father and by the way right here right now let's put some respect on Joseph's name all right because unlike today where somebody probably you know put it all out on social media like can't believe my girl will step out on me like that. I don't deserve this disrespect. Can't nobody hold me back. Yolo, gotta live my life, gonna be free, moving on. Joseph doesn't do any of that. We see that while he honored God's law, it says, where sexuality is reserved for the marriage relationship, he wasn't moralistic about it. It says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That means he didn't wanna shame her. We see him caring here for Mary's reputation not just his own pain. What a guy, what a man. Though it looks like all he's gotten for trying to serve God and do things the right way, all he's gotten for that is a busted relationship and a broken heart. Going back to square one, single people here in a room watching online. You ever felt like that? All you get for honoring God, doing the right thing, doing it God's way, a busted relationship. Maybe no relationship, maybe a broken heart. Yeah. Joseph feels that too. So yeah, Joseph hears Mary is pregnant. It's changed his life, except it wasn't just bad. It's about to get worse. Because in the middle of his pain, as he's putting together his plan to divorce her quietly, to salvage Mary's reputation, in a dream, we're told, an angel comes to Joseph and they have a little chat. Why does the angel come? I want to ask that question. Here's why. It's a little bit of an aside here. It's because Joseph, let me tell you, was a real person, a regular person, just like you and like me. And let's face it, he's reacting to the whole pregnant by God story like you would have reacted if it were you. He got, therefore, what you and I would have needed as well, some help. So if you're skeptical about this story or you're listening, you're watching, you're here and you're skeptical about the miraculous in the Christian scriptures overall, please, here's my appeal to you. Please don't be guilty of what's called chronological snobbery which means you think you're smarter than the people who lived before you just because you have a smartphone and the internet, okay? That's a, it's a saying that you're smarter today than all the people who lived long ago. Anybody who lived before you was like a simple-minded, these people in the first century were superstitious, simple-minded, ready to believe anything. Don't do that. Again, let's figure out how we can respect someone here, Joseph, who's managed to change the world, let's face it, more than you or I ever will. Would you have believed someone was pregnant by God? Joseph didn't believe it either. He reacted how you and I would have reacted. See, these are real people whose real stories are being captured for us. And so the angel then says to him, oh, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why was Joseph afraid? I don't know, perhaps because his reputation in the community would have been ruined. I don't know, perhaps because he was gonna be consigned as far as he could see to a life of raising another man's child in a shame and honor culture. Take her home, the angel says. But then Joseph hears this. Here's why he shouldn't be afraid. He says, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit joseph's thinking mary's telling the truth this is amazing incredible like i am gonna be now the earthly father of the messiah yes that's right joseph you will be and then in the very next sentence joseph hears what having this emmanuel this god baby in his life is gonna look like angel says she will give birth to a son and you, Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And if it hadn't, if it hadn't dawned on Joseph by now, it just did. Having Emmanuel in your life is gonna be nothing like what you'd expect. Why do I say that? Well, what's the angel telling him right here? What's the angel showing him through this instruction that it means to relate to Jesus? Here's what it means. Joseph's find out real quick. It means that you are not your own. It means your life is not your own. One of the first things that, that Carrie and I did when we found out we were expecting uh, was something that all parents love to do. Maybe if you're expecting right now, you're doing this, which is to go on that time-honored tradition of a month's long search for the perfect name. Perfect name for that child. Should it be something from our family? Should it be something from our faith? You know, should it be something like real trendy we can impress all our friends online with at the, or show off at the, at the gender reveal party, you know, with the super trendy name? But no matter what, here's the point. We were choosing the name. And in that patriarchal society where sons didn't even have last names, the son's last name was simply a reiteration of the father's first name, as in Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. Some of you may remember blind Bar-Timaeus, right? Son of Timaeus. In that day, how much more did the father have not just the expectation but assumed it was his right to name his firstborn son, his heir, which was his cultural glory, his earthly reputation. How much more did that man have that right to name a child what he wanted? Except to relate to Emmanuel, to have God with us, be God with you, means you don't get to name him. You don't get to call God what you want. You don't get to decide who God is. You don't get to name him. You only have a choice. You call him who he is. You relate to him for who he is. But you don't relate to him at all. This child, this God is different. And this is the point right here. We should just acknowledge where we modern people, maybe this is you right now, you have a hard time with what you, we're being shown right here about who the person of Jesus is from the moment He's conceived. Here's what we're shown. We are shown his two words, inherent exclusivity, inherent exclusivity. We're shown the exclusive nature of who he is, which is this. He is who he is. He is not who we say he is. He is who he is. He is not who we say he is. And who is he? Come on. The angel told you he is the one who has come to save. Look at this, look at this. Not just God's people, which is what Joseph would have expected to hear, which is what every Jewish person would have expected to hear. No, Jesus has come to save whose people? Come on. His people from their sins. Do you mean, Mr. Angel, that the baby about to be born already has people? <laughs> who has Jesus has previous people, as in the people who, they're his, he made them, he owns them. But but to already have people when you're born means you would have already had to have existed before you're born. That's right. That's right. Why? Why? Matthew already told you, this baby is Emmanuel, God with us. So if you find yourself saying today, Oh gosh, this is what I can't take about the Christian faith. The exclusivity bit, right? The one savior for all people bit. Why can't you say, Morgan? That you know, Jesus is just a nice person. He's a really good teacher. Why can't you say the point of any faith religion is just to be nice and good, you know, to be super sincere. You know, this whole God being the baby thing, that's kind of weird. Doctrine doesn't matter. Christmas is just about being nice and drinking cocoa. Why can't you just say that? If that's you, let me just tell you. All kidding aside, as much as you don't, perhaps, I don't, even I don't like the doctrine of what we're being shown here, that Jesus from the beginning is revealed as God. If you say doctrine doesn't matter, I'm sorry, that itself is a doctrine, an idea about faith. If you say being good is all that matters, try your best, be sincere is all that matters. Or if there's a God, if there's a God, surely he doesn't really care about how I live you should know that's a doctrine. Christians call that justification by works. Justification by works. is, And you're trying to save yourself. You're trying to be good by your own standard, your nice tries. Oh, but from the jump, as the kids say, we're being shown the difference between Jesus and every other founder of every other faith. Every other founder comes saying, I am not God but I've got some rules, I've got a book, I've got some advice, follow that, you'll be fine. Instead, Jesus comes saying, you're not fine. I am God, you don't name me. I am who I am, and I don't just want you to read my book. I am the book come to life. I am the word of God, the law of God come to life in a body. I haven't come to inspire you, although that may happen. I've come to save you. And here's who I've come to save you from. I've come, ready, to save you from you. You from your sins. I haven't just come to give you some nice advice about your problems. I've come to save you from your sins. You see the difference? So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, all this in mind. Have you ever had a moment where you have asked the Emmanuel to be your Emmanuel, to be God with you? Not just God with us, but God with you to acknowledge, God, my life is not mine. It's yours. You know, I think a cynic, a cynic, would look at Joseph's life right here and say it was ruined. God messed it up. It was messed up. An optimist would look at Joseph's life and say, "Eh, it got rearranged. (laughs) But a Christian would say, no, Joseph's life was redeemed. Not ruined, not rearranged, redeemed. It became what it could have, ought to have been all along. And here's why you can know this. Because at the same time, as Joseph is being shown uh, something scary that his life isn't his, he's also being shown something soothing. Here it is. Joseph is also being shown that while his life isn't his own, he will never ever be alone. He will never, ever be alone. Look at Joseph's life from here on out. It's amazing. He's not alone right here when he's being asked to do something that would potentially kill his reputation. Maybe some of you are feeling like today because of what God is asking me to do. Perhaps your reputation is on the line. If that's you, like with Joseph, you're not alone. God visits Joseph here through the angel. Joseph's not alone. Nine months later, when he makes the lonely journey, the shameful trip back to Bethlehem with his pregnant wife in tow by someone else, and he's not alone when his own family in Bethlehem shuns him, forces him out into the barn, into the, the guest house to sleep with the animals. No, no, no. Joseph has Mary with him, and for a while, yeah, they are the only two in the world who really understand what God is doing in their lives. And maybe you feel like that today. You're like, man, I don't feel like I don't got anybody with me. I don't even have a Mary. You're like, man, I could use a Mary. I'll take my Joseph this year. Thank you very much. I want to tell you, I believe in you. I believe in God's dream in your life. Joseph and Mary built a bond over believing in the promise of God. Joseph was never alone. And the night, that night that the God baby was born, shepherds came to visit when family wouldn't even come to call. And two years later, he wasn't alone either. God hung a star over his city. The Magi came to bring him wealth he never could have manufactured on his own. All because Joseph said yes to God in a moment of pain and confusing confusion. Joseph wasn't alone. When his son's life was threatened by Herod, God sent another angel to send him to Egypt and another angel to bring him back home. And Joseph wasn't never alone as that boy grew in his life as the person of jesus became more and more clear to him and one day one day before joseph died over in the gospel of luke we are told that joseph unwittingly got to give jesus the gift every young jewish boy would receive from his father before his 13th birthday to be apprenticed into the family business joseph we're told brought his son that year to jerusalem where he walked jesus around the temple Where Jesus saw the sheep, he saw the goats, he saw the priests, he saw the sacrificing. And in that year where Jewish boys were traditionally apprenticed into the family business, Joseph was given because he was never alone. The unexpected gift of a lifetime. He apprenticed, though he didn't know it, Jesus into his heavenly father's business. Though his life was not his own, Joseph was never alone. God with us was God with Joseph every step of the way on his uncertain journey toward the heart of God. And the same can be true of you as well. So let me ask you, what about you, huh? Today? What about me? What about you? What if we, what if you took those twin truths? My life is not my own and I'm never alone. And you put them down in you for a lifetime. What if you just said, I'm gonna let that Christmas train rumble all the way shake me down to my core huh 1685 there was a young german boy named george who was born to a father who was a doctor george loved music but the father tried to steer him clear of the whole making music thing as long as he could though the father's wishes were overcome by public demand when they demanded his nine-year-old son play the organ in church and years later, when the boy grew up, he, he tried to compose uh, music. He moved to England. George moved to England where George loved to write musical stories about the Bible. Actually, books like Esther. Performed them in secular, sort of at the time, movie houses the equivalent to try to reach people with the message of Jesus. All his, all his efforts, though, left him a failure, left him poor, left him penniless, bankrupt by the time he was in his 50s. He was out of favor with the Church of England. By the time he reached age 56, he was looking at landing, facing debtor's prison. April 8th of that year, he gave what he considered would be his farewell concert. Miserable, discouraged, gonna retire in 56. Then two things happened, changed his life, changed history. First, a friend of his gave him a libretto. A libretto is a, a book from an opera with all the text written out line by line in it. This libretto was one based on the life of Christ, its words coming exclusively from the Bible. While reading this book, number one on the life of Christ, George was also given out of the blue an opportunity to write an opera for a Dublin, Ireland charity. So George said yes to that. He went to work one last time, grew so absorbed in his work that even he, for the next three weeks, even with no COVID, didn't leave his house. Hardly stopped to eat. Within six days, part one was complete. Nine days more, he finished part two. Another six days, part three. Orchestration completed another two days. In all, 260 pages of music were completed in 24 days. And at one point, as one of his servants burst in on him to try to force George to eat, George, startled by the interruption, said this, and it was written down, captured for history. With tears streaming down his face, George Frederick Handel said this, I did think, I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. Handel had just finished writing what you and I now know is the hallelujah chorus, which goes, hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And later as George Frederick Handel, as he struggled, as he groped for words to describe what he had experienced, he actually quoted St. Paul saying, whether I was in the body, out of the body, I don't even know. And Messiah, the opera, premiered on April 13, 1742 as a charitable benefit. It raised $100,000. It freed 142 men from debtor's prison, restored those families. A year later, he performed it in London where the King of England, who had heard about it, came to visit, came to watch. When the first notes of the Hallelujah Chorus went out, of course, you know the story, the King of England stood up, so the whole crowd stood up. And that's why we still stand more than two and a half centuries later. Handel's life, of course, was permanently changed by this. He conducted personally more than 30 performances of the Messiah. Many of these were to benefit a children's hospital, which he believed in. And the thousands, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, Handel's performances of Messiah raised, all those dollars raised, led one biographer to note this. Quote, Messiah has fed the hungry, clothed the naked, Fostered the orphan more than any other single musical production in this or any country. Another wrote, Perhaps the works of no other composer, songwriter, have so largely contributed to the relief of human suffering. What happened? What happened? I think Handel, like Joseph, God, who Emmanuel was, God with us, that his life was not his own, and yet he was never alone. He received and he experienced Emmanuel, God with us, the one who has come to reign forever and ever. And that truth changed his life, didn't it? Changed the world. It can change your life as well today. Hope you can say amen to this. Let me take a moment here and pray for you, no matter where you are. Lord, we just come and we just acknowledge you for who you are. You're our Emmanuel. You're this church's Emmanuel. God with us. And Lord, I'm praying now we would feel that. We would experience that. We'd have a taste of that on our hearts. Perhaps in a way we never had before, that we need more than ever before. And I'm praying for every person watching online right now in their home. Here in a room, if they've never asked the Emmanuel to be their Emmanuel, I pray now would be their moment, yeah. So that's you. If you're saying, man, this is me, I've never received Jesus for who he is, Savior and Lord. I wanna be changed by receiving that. If that's you, would you just pray these words after me? Again, it's not as much the words that is the posture of your heart, like Joseph's was, to receive and say yes. That's you. Would you just pray these words? You can say, Lord Jesus, I come to you now and I'm asking that you would be my Emmanuel. God with me right now, today. And right now, I take myself off the throne of my life. I receive you for who you are, Lord and God. Jesus, I ask that you'd forgive me my sins and save me from my sins. And give me grace to change, follow you the rest of my life. Like Joseph, like Mary. These things now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.